so let me just tell you where I'm coming from on this one. Um, because of your background, I think it's really, like, I thought you'd be a really great candidate. Let me just ask for just uh, edification's sake. So you obviously have mm-hmm. some background in MMA. You have a background mm-hmm. in powerlifting, and you have a background in, in bodybuilding. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes, I competed in all three pretty much. Okay, so um, and, and do you have to what extent do you have some kind of and forgive me if I don't know the proper nomenclature? Do you have like certification mm-hmm. for for being a trainer? Yeah. Or how does that work? Yeah, well, I have my degree in exercise science from Alabama State University. I played Division One football there. Um, also, I'm certified. I'm a certified strength coach through NSCA and uh, ACE, so American Council of Exercise. So it's just little certifications. Um, also. As far as my MMA career, I was uh, I was a professional for eight years. Um, I I trained under American Top Team. I was originally with Dean Thomas. I don't know if you actually you know who Dean Thomas is, but um, I trained with him. And then also with powerlifting, I'm a, a USPA member, so that's United States Powerlifting Association. I compete in the uh, 90 kilo and 98 kilo class. I actually have a meet coming up in three weeks. Um, my best total numbers. I've had a 1770 total, and I've also squatted 600 in a meet. So I mean, I'm, <clears throat> those are like the the prime, you know, numbers there. And then also, um, as far as my credentials, I've had a um, I've had pretty much awarded tw- at, at the age of 22, I was awarded the uh, best strength conditioning coach of the year for MMA for the MMA uh, Florida MMA Awards, not the World MMA Awards, but the Florida Florida version. And then uh, from there. You know, just basically been working with the American Top Team guys since, I want to say, a year and a half ago. And I've uh, been working with those guys ever since. So I'm the head strength and conditioning coach there now as we speak. So if you were fighting MMA, how did you get time to bodybuild and powerlift? Okay, so this is what happened. Three years ago, I I, uh, I retired from, from, from MMA due to a series of concussions that I attained from actually from playing football since I was nine years old. I've had eight concussions my entire life. So at that time, it was more beneficial for me to actually stop pursuing a full MMA career. I had a full gym, um, had 11,000 square foot facility with over 500 members. So I had a pretty good lucrative business. Um, Pursuing an MMA career and trying to go to the UFC wasn't really a part of the plan, you know, especially at the cost of my health. So ended up stopped doing that and I needed to compete in something. So I ended up doing bodybuilding for a good amount of time. I ended up uh, competing, I want to say two or three times in local shows. And then I did, you know, obviously it was, was training for that specific purpose. And then for powerlifting, I've always been a strength athlete. So I did some powerlifting in high school. And then right after that, after bodybuilding was done, um, I just transferred into powerlifting where I've been uh, been competing probably for for a good um, five years now. So, you know, off and on, I, I never really did powerlifting, bodybuilding, and MMA at the same time. Obviously, I want to make sure that I'm I'm focused on one specific modality at a time. You know, and then uh, you know, so I mean, that's uh, where I'm at right now. All right, so let me ask you. I'm gonna start from a question because the, I. I... Saw uh, something from Matt Wenning, um, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, a year or so ago. I can't remember where I saw it, but he said something that really caught my attention that I had never really thought too much about, 
and he was arguing a point. He was basically trying to say, if you're talking about injury prevention, cardio mm-hmm. doesn't do much for you. Strength training does. Mm-hmm. But MMA is interesting, isn't it? Because certainly you need every aspect of athletic uh, potential, but it's mm-hmm. a sport where cardio is at a premium. So I'm wondering, what do you make of the challenge, first off, about how, how do you reconcile needing strength training for all its benefits plus injury prevention and yet this maximization of cardio? Well, since that MMA is a mixed aerobic system sport, you have to make sure that you are training all, all of those modalities in a single microcycle or macro cycle, if you will. Um, what I would like to do when it, when it comes down to a strength program, proper periodization plus the progression of that development of strength will help with better kinesthetic awareness well, with the safety of the body as far as higher impact through joint, you know, joint degradation and also making sure that, you know, just the muscles are stronger in general. So they won't get muscle tears. They won't get, you know, muscle strains or, you know, in, in, in general joint tears from not having strong enough bone tissue around that muscle. But I mean, I guess what I'm trying to wonder is what do you make of that? Let's, let, I guess let's take a step back there. What do you make of the, uh, do you agree with winning that like, and then there might be some research to, to justify this, that like what really matters mm-hmm. for injury prevention is strength training. That's really what will keep yeah. you ultimately safer than just about anything else. So let's even take a step back further than that. Before you go into a full strength program, and, and you have to understand periodization first, you know, the main thing you want to do is build some solid muscle tissue. So hypertrophy is going to be the first start to a strength program. In order to build, well, when you build muscle tissue, you actually, in, you, you increase bone density. So, I mean, a lot of times what I see is obviously, you know, ACL tears, bone breaks, things like that. Think of uh, like Anderson Silva with, the, you know, the tibia fracture mm-hmm. that he had. You know, if he were to actually strengthen up his bones by building a little bit of solid muscle tissue, not, not to the effect of where you're, you're trying to be a bodybuilder, but it, it just getting some sort of, of, of muscle hypertrophy, you're going to build up that bone density, have a greater calcium response, and then you will actually save, you know, a lot of those injuries from, from happening. And that's what I think he's going, you know, talking about. I mean, cardio is cardio. It's only good for really heart health. And, you know, as far as aerobic capacity goes, it's good for that, you know, for performance-wise in the cage. But in order for somebody for longevity – Strength training is going to help them, you know, further their career as of not getting injured in those situations of practice and things like that. Because they're beating their body up, you know, that two or three times a day, if not. And they have to be able to, one, withstand the volume. So their, their, muscle, their, their muscle and their body has to be strong enough to withstand that volume and that intensity throughout camp. What would you say the average pro fighter understands about all this? it depends, man. I think I have some guys that, that do understand it, but I have some guys that really just don't give a damn. You know, they, 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 here's the thing. Like when it comes to barbell sports, like powerlifting, weightlifting, the weight room is specific. That's SPP, right? So you're thinking specified physical preparation for that sport with the weight room in MMA. That's more general physical preparedness. They don't really need I don't want to say they don't need the weight room, but 
that's not what their sport is about. Their sport is about obviously when they're when they're talking about specific training, sparring, rolling, things like that. So in their mind, it's extra, right? A lot of the guys. Now, some of them understand the fact that they need to actually get stronger to withstand the weight class and and to um, make sure that they are safe. They're safe in their training, but for most of the time, I don't think anybody really understands the real amplification of what we can actually do for them as far as strength goes. When you, I'm, I might jump around here, so if, if this is a little bit incoherent, just give me a, uh, mm-hmm. forgive me. When you see someone like John Jones doing powerlifting, and let me be clear, I'm a 1,000% a powerlifting fan. I love it. It's been a, it's been a great benefit sure. to my life, you know. Um, but yeah, when you see what he's up there, you know, he's deadlifting, and he's hitching a little bit on 600, is this is this really beneficial for mixed martial arts? And here's another situation. I believe that that powerlifting in general can cause can you know have some benefit to his to his sport or to you know his game, but also you got to remember that it's not one aerobic system that he's working. So he has to make sure that he's getting all facets of that aerobic capacity. And we're talking anaerobic, lactic conditioning. We're also talking, you know, speed, agility, power, power, endurance, strength, endurance. So powerlifting can help in one aspect of the fight game, but he must have all things put together. Now, in in John's case, you know, this was on the off season. He wasn't even really, really fighting at the time. So, I mean, I think he was just trying to actually gain some absolute strength along with some muscle mass, which I have no problem with. You know what I'm saying? But when you get into fight camp, all modalities have to be hit. Otherwise, you're going to miss the boat. And that's why I think that, and, you know, kind of going off the side, but I think that um, a lot of times when you do, when you phase out or you do block periodization where you do different phases throughout camp, I do feel sometimes that phase one may go into phase two, but phase one will never go into phase three. And that's why I prefer for what my situation is, a conjugated style of approach to where we work all modalities in a single microcycle um, throughout the week so they can hit each aerobic system accordingly so they can stay ready without having to get ready. Hmm. Um, I want to go back to injuries for just a second. How, how much would you say injury is this, just the nature of the way which these guys train? And how much would you say is injury from improper strength and conditioning? From if I had to put a percentage on it, yeah. I've seen a lot of crazy. I've seen a lot of crazy shit on the internet. But you know, um, as far as from from my point of view, you know, I make sure our main focus is to keep these guys safe. You know, and injury injury. I don't want to say prevention because you can really never prevent somebody from getting injured. You can only reduce the fact of that, especially from a high impact sport like mixed martial arts. So my main focus before anything is injury reduction, you know? So, I mean, as far as your question goes, I do believe more injury does come from actual training and training under a stressful state. So when they're in, you know, high cortisol state, when they're not getting, you know, the right recovery, you know, the right restoration and they're training over and over again. And usually it comes at the end of fight camp, you know what I mean? Or in the beginning when they're not even in shape and they're just going through the motions and they're not paying attention to detail. That's interesting. So in your experience, the majority of injuries are not in that middle groove, but early or later. 
Yeah, well, here's the thing. When you start, you're not really unless unless they've been training year round, like I said, and they're always ready. Right. Um, you, a lot of fighters, and I had that same mentality, is that they want to, you know, go, you know, right off the gate, 100 percent, and you can't really do that. You know what I'm saying? It has to be a progression. You know. Um, so I think that a lot of times that people just, all right, I'm going to do, and they get, and you know, a lot of guys get overzealous in their scheduling. That's why we like to schedule all of our fighters out um, accordingly, but a lot of guys will do their own schedule and they'll put down four training sessions in, you know, a five day sequence. And, um, you know, it's just not, a, it's, it's too much for them at that time. And then they end up either getting injured or overtrained. And then when they get overtrained, we're not talking about overreaching, we're talking about overtraining. They end up, you know, getting injured through, you know, their body just breaking down. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, uh, wow, I didn't realize it was quite. And to be honest, let me let me go back to that. And sure, you know the thing the thing with um, like what I see with um, let's see with Cain Velasquez, I think that a lot of times these guys train, you know, as if they're fighting in the cage, and I and I, I honestly think that they need to either back that down a little bit because all those guys in that camp, and I don't want to you know you know single them out, but that's basically what's been going on for the past couple of years is that I'm seeing them, you know, they're going in, you're going to war in, in the gym. You know what I'm saying? It's just like me when I'm training. I mean, I want to hit good lifts in the gym, but I'd rather save my hundred percent for that platform. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I wanna, you know, I would, I would, I would like to see what they do there, you know what I'm saying? And then see exactly how their strength, you know, strength program is ran, you know, and how they're actually training on a daily basis. You know what I mean? And they got to kind of back that down. I think that if you, if you can, um, if you can maximize the, or you know what, not even maximize. Optimal training is better than maximal training, and it's damn sure better than minimal. So let's try to make sure that we got a middle ground there, so they're not overkilling themselves and not making it to the cage. That's interesting. Uh, I've seen. I don't know if you've ever seen that famous video of like leg training that Cain Velasquez did. Mm -hmm. Now this was years ago. I don't know if he's doing the same kind of thing anymore. You've seen it. Yeah, terrible. I see. You know, I seen it on um, on Rogan's podcast. I mean, and, um, it's in, it's insane, right? Like it's this like series of uh, it's yeah. like hypertrophy mixed with max lifts. I don't even know what you call it. Yeah. So it's called stupid. Yeah. Stupidity. That's what really. <laughs> so, but like, is, but, but here's the thing. Know, so like, but, I mean, if, but, but here's the thing. If you if, in playing devil's advocate for Kane here, I, who I don't think is a dumb guy at all. Um, no. Like no. you mentioned before, a lot of these fighters just don't know the difference. You can get a trainer that comes to you and says this thing. How are fighters even supposed to know the difference? Well, that's where I want to educate my fighters into understanding what is the right way to go. So, I mean, first of all, being a coach isn't just, a, you know, yelling at your guys and telling them to come on and counting reps and sets. You know what I'm saying? You have to educate them. You have to lead them in certain times, you know, and you have to back them down. So they have to be, you know, willing to trust you in your approaches and they have to understand the program. You know, um, the fighters don't know any different. And when you're a fighter, all you want to do really is to be told what to do and when to do it because they're too worried. And they're are obviously they need to be worried about the fight at hand and their camp and how they're training and how they're recovering, you know, and that's our job to educate them on how to do so. So if they can't trust them in the program, then that's a big problem. But you have a lot of guys that don't know what the fuck they're doing and then, and then, you know, they end up hurting these guys or, you know what I'm saying? A lot of the times fighters just think they're getting a good workout because they're breathing heavy 
and they're sore, mm. which is not always the case, obviously. You know, one of the things I encounter in MMA gyms that I see a lot, I see it more in jiu-jitsu, but I do see it in MMA. Well, they'll say, you know what? My strength and conditioning is just more of what I already do, right? I'll just intensify it to some extent, uh, but I don't really have any kind of separate strength and conditioning program. Uh, and these are guys invariably who break down over time. And I'm wondering, A, how common is that? And B, how bad is that? So how common is it? I think now we're getting better with that. I mean, Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys are probably worse than the MMA guys for sure. <clears throat> um, just because of the fact that jiu-jitsu has a certain rhythmic approach to what they do. And I don't think that the heavy lifting or the the explosive power stuff actually intrigues them. I think more of the core stability, core rotational things, kinesthetic awareness, and proprioception is more key to what they want to do. So you will see them do more things like, you know, animal animal workouts where they're, you know, doing bear crawls and, and spider walks and things like that. But um, I honestly believe that it's not just a – and I don't even like to call myself a strength and conditioning coach half the time because it gets such a negative rap for, you know, a lot of people that don't know what they're doing. So being a physical preparation specialist or coach, that's more of the uh, approach. You know, that's the more of the uh, what I want to be called. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because you're preparing these guys to actually not only go into battle but to train consistently. So, I mean – as far as, you know, your, and, and what was the second question, by the way? I want to go ahead and answer everything. Like, uh, how common is it and how bad is that approach for, you know, if you want to compete at an elite level? So, so basically what you would be saying is you're not getting, you're basically getting a workout on top of your training. It's not getting you better for performance-wise because all things have to be assessed. Movement quality, you know, um, proper aerobic capacity, making sure that they're actually um, getting the right training and strength around their system as far as specificity goes, but also making sure that they're also, you know, recovering as well. So, I mean, if you get a workout and then you go ahead and roll for another hour, that it might not be beneficial for you as far as programming goes. That makes sense? Yep. Uh, on the other side, you, you noted that some guys, like, they don't even want to be bothered by some of the extra details about strength and conditioning or even strength and conditioning yeah. at all. But then on the other side, I've seen a lot of ego lifting too, right? I mean, I've seen a lot of, for some reason, MMA fighters love to put their terrible deadlift videos on Instagram and things like that, right? So how much of that is a problem where guys are going in there and they've got absolutely dreadful mechanics and that they're strong and so they're doing terrible things to themselves in the gym? Well, as far as my guys go, I never really had that problem. A lot of the times they always want to, you know, they always want to learn proper mechanics, proper detail to movement. Um, and I make sure that we, we, uh, we get the technique down before we even max load them. It's all sub-maximal lifts until I feel like they can withstand that load. Now, don't get me wrong, when you, when you load somebody, that's when you'll probably see more of a mechanical breakdown um, past 85% of 1RM. But if their body's not structurally ready for that for that load, you're just going to damage them in the long run because you'll develop bad motor motor recruitment and bad motor patterns. So as far as my guys go, I've never 
had that happen, but I have seen shit on the internet that's just terrible that I, I really don't understand. I, I guess um somebody sent me one of uh, a Tony Ferguson doing a trap bar deadlift, mm-hmm. and I was fucking blown away with whoever put that on, like put that online, you know what I'm saying, for anybody to see. First of all, you cannot mess up a trap bar deadlift. I don't know how you do that, you know, um, but obviously he's missing some things hypertrophy-wise and strength development-wise to where he's rounding his back like that. And I think that it's either a mobility issue, stability issue, or both. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it needs to be stopped because, one, you're getting – you're, you're giving the, the fighter, like, a, a negative feedback to where he thinks that he's actually stronger than he is, you know. Um, you can lift 500 pounds, but if you lift 500 pounds with your back rounded and your knees caving in, well, obviously, you know, you're not structurally ready for that weight. So it, it does need to be stopped. Um, what do you think, how many, how many guys like you are at elite gyms? How many guys? Like as far as strength and conditioning coaches? Uh, but with the certification and not merely that guys who compete guys who've done MMA seems like you're fairly, you're a bit of a unicorn, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And, And I think that that helps me a lot with the situation I'm in. Um, you got football guys, you have, you know, soccer guys, hockey guys, baseball guys that are strength and conditioning coaches at these, at these schools or at these, at these gyms, but they've never really fought. And I see, I mean, like guys like Lauren Landau, like they, they understand the approach and, you know, some of them are smarter than me. Don't get me wrong. But when you step into a cage and you actually physically went to, went to training camps and you actually went through the training camps and had to cut weight and had to understand how it feels to be a fighter, you know, I understand what these guys go through on a daily basis. So it helps me from an emotional standpoint on top of, you know, the scientific approach that I, that I put into the program. And this is why I have a, of a kind of a unique approach to what I do where other people are kind of going with the norm because it is fairly new. Mixed martial arts strength and conditioning is fairly new. I see a lot of things that are, that are, um, that are, you know, they're too specific in their training where you see guys, you know, with um, dumbbells in their hands, throwing, throwing one twos, and that's actually hurting their joints. But they think that they're being, you know, they think that they're using specificity towards the sport where they're really just hurting their mechanics from their skill coaches. So my, my, you know, my, my role as a coach, obviously I can teach somebody how to do a double leg or a single leg or whatever, but we have Olympic wrestling coaches at, at American top team. That's going to teach them better than me. And that's not my job description. My job description is to get them physically prepared to go through training and to get them ready for when they go to fight. So I think that a lot of times these coaches that cause they don't know the sport or they never really competed in the sport. They may be fans. Um, they don't understand what needs to be done as far as from, you know, a step-by-step approach for a fighter to get them, you know, prepared to go into war. That's interesting. How long before you think it modernizes at a more national or international level? How many years will that take? I think we're a good, I had to put it yesterday, we're a good five years away. You know, um, just because of the fact that I think, you know, and it's hard because when I got out of school, you know, I went right into mixed martial arts. So a lot of guys go into school and then they'll go to an internship. Like I'm talking strength coaches. 
a lot of guys will go from school to a, to an internship and never really get that real world, you know, application or that that experience of competing. They may have competed in college or in high school, but I competed on the pro level to where, you know, I was doing multiple things like as far as <clears throat> going and doing internships, but also training full time for my for myself. So I mean, if we can find somebody or maybe educate more guys, and I have some guys that I train myself that actually can be good strength coaches, you know, after their career is over because they're actually understanding the process and they're seeing, you know, what can come of, you know, their degree that they're getting. And also they see what I'm doing. So they understand that they can actually make it happen, you know, because I think it's an anomaly where mixed martial arts three years ago, you know, wasn't really as mainstream as it is now due to the fact that the UFC is blowing up and then, you know, Fox hopped on and all this other stuff. And obviously, you know, the websites like yours, you know, but I think before, you know, strength and conditioning coaches really didn't want nothing to do with it because they didn't understand the process of it. You know what I mean? And the aerobic systems are so mixed that there's no real one way to train. And they have to understand that you can't just sprint these guys. You can't just run them long distance. It's not boxing. You know, you can't just max effort, you know, strength train them. They're not power lifters but you can't just be doing functional training on a BOSU ball thinking then that's going to help them either. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> understanding modalities of, of, the, of the sport itself, understanding the aerobic systems, and then integrating them into a full cycle of training, that's when you're going to get these guys that really understand what they're doing. And I think that we have some out there, we have some outliers, but as far as like the whole industry knowing how it goes, like, like they do with football or like they do with with track and field or Olympic weightlifting, um, we're not there yet at all. Mm. That's really interesting. A couple more questions for you. I really appreciate your time, if I may. Um, no problem. To, to what extent does caloric restriction affect uh, performance in training and injury in mm -hmm. training? Okay, so if you don't have proper energy throughout your caloric intake, you're not going to have the energy to withstand a training session. In general, the volume of the training will actually you know, inhibit you from actually doing what you need to do. And it helps, it helps with technique efficiency because obviously when you're tired and you're fatigued, technique is one of the things that will go. So that when you, when you obviously, when your technique goes down, injury may happen. So that's why I believe that you must, you must have adequate amount of calories. And that's why I always say, you know, for a fighter, and especially now with the weight cuts, they need to be around, and I know people kind of, you know, call me crazy, but 12 to 15 pounds max of your weight, you know what I'm saying? You never want to cut any more than 15 pounds in a weight cut <clears throat> because you just don't, you will never recover as adequately the next day. If you do, you know, if you do a 30 pound cut, things like that, you'll never be the person you are in training. Now, as far as, you know, these guys that train a lot, I mean, we're talking, like I said, two or three times a day, they need to have that, that that those calories to help them withstand with recovery and with you know maximizing their training efficiency so yeah it's definitely important so let me just end on this if i may and i know that like strength and conditioning to the extent you want to call it that is obviously a lot about peak performance um but the one of the things that just sort of the way i started this conversation was just injury and you know you mentioned that like in five years there might be a little bit more of a dissemination of guys like you who have the requisite experience, training, knowledge, um, and the total package to get the job done. 
So, mm-hmm. d- d- so where is the injury crisis in MMA going to be in five years? Is it going to be better? To some extent, injury is unavoidable, either in training or fights. Sure. Fair enough. But, I, but proper I, professionals can really limit it. So where, where's it going to be in five years? I think it, it is going to get better. I think it'll decrease. Um, I'm seeing a lot now that guys are seeing the difference between not having to spar, you know, 100% in a gym anymore. You know, a lot of my guys that I have, uh, uh, a good a good case would be Dustin Poirier. Like we we definitely drastically brought down his his sparring from this last camp, and he looked good. You know, last week. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, I think that we're taking more of an approach of being smarter, um, training more optimally instead of maximally, and I think that will actually be better within five years for sure.